Welcome to The Bridge, a podcast exploring how we get to the future we really want. My name is Jared Michaels. I am a Zen priest, a psychotherapist, and a longtime student of this bridge. I am thrilled to be here with my friend and colleague Chris Searles and our guests as we try to build this bridge together. Welcome to The Bridge. Again, my name is Jared Michaels, and I am really happy to be here today with somebody that I have met over Facebook and became friends with over Facebook and always really appreciated his wisdom and his uh, challenges and uh, his work. And he... I didn't know this, but he is friends with Chris and uh, more than that, collaborators, allies. And so I'm, I'm really happy to welcome Randy Jewart. And uh, Chris has some more to say to welcome him. Yeah, I'm extra excited. I have a long intro written, but I'll say one more thing. We just chatted before we started this podcast, and I think you can already kind of, or maybe Jared and I can already feel this unique kind of warmth and groundedness and just positive energy that comes off of Randy. I first met Randy about 15 or 16 years ago. At that time, he was working on a project called Austin Green Art. We're both in Austin now. And that was a kind of an Andy Goldsworthy inspired public engagement art project that was trying to help people connect to environmental issues and solutions. Since about 2010, he's been running a company called Resolution Gardens, which is a small business that began by installing raised beds in people's front yards, usually for food production and resale at our local co-op grocery store. And um, what we want to talk about today is Randy's experience and advice around growing food locally, sort of what works and what can be done. Resolution Gardens has since pivoted since 2010 to becoming a full spectrum landscaping company, retaining specialities in regenerative and organic gardening techniques. And also, I think it's important to point out among many other admirable social dimensions, Resolution Gardens employs recovering addicts and Randy engages with profit sharing, um, in profit sharing with his employees. There's a lot to say about this kind of vision that Randy's trying to put into the world, and it's it's very multifaceted. So who knows where we'll go today? He and I recently reconnected through a project that he started called The Gift. And The Gift is an acronym for Grow, Inspire, Feed, Teach. This is a partnership that I think uh, Randy initiated between kind of his community, which I would describe as secular environmental type folks, and an Episcopal church in Austin that has about three acres of green space. And so this place, the gift is a place where all kinds of people are welcome. And I've been joining in over the last couple of months, uh, every Saturday for a work day. I always leave there feeling kind of the way I just mentioned that I am already feeling having chatted with Randy at the beginning of this podcast, feeling loved, feeling grounded, feeling centered and refreshed. And so Randy is now at this juncture where in a couple of weeks, he kind of officially retires or at least changes his patterns. And um, my understanding is that he's looking now at building cooperative food producing communities outside of Texas. 
which is part of the thread on this interview today. And I think this is just a great time to talk to Randy and get his reflections on how to do local community solutions, how to think about growing food locally. And I want to say, Randy, welcome, my man. Glad to have you here. Glad to be here. Super stoked. It's a fun reconnection. Uh, Chris and I hadn't seen each other for you know a good while until he started helping out at the gift project and uh, to know that that he's buddies with Jared and the podcast work you all have been doing together. I have a, a ton of respect for it. So it's fun, fun to be here. It's really fun to have you. So first of all, I just want to say hearing Chris's introduction and just like revisiting you, I, I, I think of that, you know, that Gandhi quote, you know, be the change. I just, I just want to say that I'm really glad you're here because that's, that's a, that's what we need. Well, I, I often mention to people that my strength is, you know, on a team of people in the community is, is a willingness to embody what the idea is, the, mm -hmm. you know, the risk and the time and energy to to per put something together and show it, it, it might only be a little kernel of a big idea, but that's what I'm ready to do. And that's uh, how I've been so far afield in you know, art and art making, and then the production of these wacky events that were the Austin Green Art experience, that were collaborations between artists that I knew and environmental groups with myself as the kind of producer puppeteer to try to give people a chance to, to meet in this new space of community engagement. And then uh, front yard gardening and, and the food space and taking that into urban farming and a, and a 60 acre farm that we're working on in Western Pennsylvania. Um, I, you know, I have a need to, to see it and touch it and make it. And so I'm willing to do that and kind of drag everybody along and, and always just have the hope that by, by making it tangible, then it can keep growing. It seems to be happening, right? Well, that, that'll be a fun part to explore more in this book. Um, I'm also a big thinker and uh, and often disappointed that uh, that things are not as big in in person and in the real world as they can get in in the sort of design and, and imagining part. But uh, I think that brings it back to this sort of spiritual-ish idea. You know, I call myself an anarchist atheist but uh but i'm a spiritual person and i believe in you know the spiritual connection to gardening and art making and community and a big piece of that work is is humility right like that whatever we think in our heads has to meet with a complex living world of 
diverse creatures and systems and factors and we have to be able to accept the limits of our ideas and our skills and our resources and celebrate what we do embody together and step back from it and critique it and grieve some of the parts that don't go as well as that we would like and be willing to roll up our sleeves and take our lumps and and get back into the fray so the trajectory of the questions that you all sent me you know were a fun chance to reflect on this last kind of 15 years of of experiments and a lot of failures in a good way um because failure is absolutely essential you know to be able to test things and learn and regroup and try again it's listening to you it's it's uh it's like listening to my best self <laughs> you know it's like i i just i'm i'm living the experiments too and the failures too and the the you know um accessing as much as possible whatever it is in me that allows me to take the lumps and and keep going get or get back into the fray i just want to ask if there's any so so people are some people probably most people who are listening are are this is an introduction to you and so is there anything about your work that Chris hasn't covered that you didn't cover just now, just like a, just like a, in the, in a kind of introductory spirit, anything about your work you want to share? Uh, nothing I could think of that's super, you know, encapsulating. I think, you know, just thinking about your reflection and, and focusing on food as kind of a topic to kind of keep us from not, talking all week long, which I'd be happy to do. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I've gravitated into the food space from growing up in athletics and education, college education, with an education and literary degree, working as an artist. I've, I've gravitated into food because the failing and the testing and the engagement is most rewarding and challenging and meaningful in a garden to me or in a farm because it's a living system. So going from you know training in gymnastics and art and literature and academics, you know, there there's creativity, there's relationships, there's um, com complexity, dealing with, you know, big issues, but it, all of that pales to a small four foot by four foot garden. When you think of, you know, soil, a good handful of soil supposedly has more living creatures than there are stars in the universe in one handful of, of living soil. So in a four foot by four foot garden, you've got you know, a thousand pounds, many, many, many handfuls of live, living matter that's more complex than, 
than anything. And then is that, got, is that is that an exaggeration? That is that, not. That's, oh, that's it, the science. That's yeah. amazing. The science, yeah. More more than the stars. Yes. Just and wow. it's you know people think of garden and they think of earthworms and you know creepy crawlies, but it's the microscopic activity that is the living part of the soil. And, you know, when I first started gardening as an artist through Austin Green Art and working with the Sustainable Food Center and the Green Corn Project, like, I thought a garden was taking care of plants. And lo and behold, you know, if you're a farmer gardener, your focus is really on soil. And if you take care of soil and build soil, then those creatures and those systems, they're the ones that take care of the plants. And I was like, what? And then you come to those other creepy crawly creatures and then you come to the plants and then you come to the sun and the rain and the wind and, and people, you know, cooking and the history of food and learning as a Yankee in Austin, Texas, what is Swiss chard and what are collard greens and how do you eat them? <laughs> so the, it's just, it's mind boggling more, more everything. And so, you know, that's where I'm at is how can we take that excitement and complexity and dynamism and, you know, we've been in a moment for the last 15 years, you know, when I first started Resolution Gardens, Michael Pollan's Omnivore's Dilemma had come out, the movie Food, Inc., uh, you know, there was a lot of documentary activity, film, a lot of books, a lot of engagement with food. And I was part of that moment. And in my opinion, you know, it's tapered down in terms of buzz and, and excitement. And I think, you know, we're in a cultural moment with our gadgets and our screens, you know, where we think because we've read that stuff or heard it, that we know something. And that, that's a problem in a lot of disciplines is this information makes us think that information is knowledge. And in reality, it is not. You know, in order to take that information and do something with it, it turns into a practice. And so this is a, a fun segue into what we were talking about, Jared, about Zen and meditation work. And because you've read about the Dharma doesn't mean you know the Dharma. You have to breathe the Dharma. And, uh, and it's the same thing with gardening and cooking and political activity, <laughs> all of these things. And so for me, food is the space where it's the most potential for, for bridging that gap with people because people eat every day <laughs> and people have a connection to food because they grew up in it and food is connected to their family traditions and maybe their religious traditions and 
It's a space that if you put a garden in a front yard, you don't have to try to talk to anybody. You don't have to make an announcement. You don't have to have a good marketing plan. You start growing food where people can see you by the street and they will talk to you. And they will talk to you in a way that you've never been talked to by strangers before. There's an openness and a curiosity and a sharing that the first time I did it, I was blown away. Me and Jay Muzak, my artist friend who just helped us paint the gift and my other friend, Robbie, who was an artist, we built this little four foot by four foot garden together in front of my subsidized housing apartment complex spot. And I was intimidated to build that garden. And I'm a macho guy who's flipped off the high bar and crashed and burned and made art and put it out in the public and had it ridiculed in the newspaper and sang on the stage when I was 10. And, you know, I, I'm not a risk averse person but I was intimidated building this garden because there's so much baggage in our culture around, you know, green thumb and, you know, be, being able to perform adequately. So even though I'm not afraid to fail, I know that I can make a good show, but I didn't know that I could make a good show as a gardener, but so we're building this garden and as soon as we started, all the kids from the neighborhood started helping. And I was like, yeah, this is fun. And then their parents started coming out and talking about, well, what are you guys doing? And this was after a couple of years of Austin Green Art, you know, learning to plan a good event and do a good marketing and invitation and get a group of people there and get the word out and have everything set up so that when they get there, people are going to be able to engage, you know, interact successfully and deeply. We didn't do anything. We just showed up and started digging. And at the end of the day, we had met all these neighbors and I had been living in this place for two years and never met a single neighbor. And I thought to myself, this was a miracle. Amazing. It'll never happen again. What a gift. And a couple weeks later, we built another garden in a front yard and it happened again. And it happens every single time because that's what this thing is. And because I learned that by testing it, you know, I shifted my career and I need more of this. And I can be a, an influence to help it proliferate, you know, and teach people how to do it and get over that, you know, fear of not knowing it and, and take, trying it anyway. So, you know, all of that energy was super exciting. And, you know, as an entrepreneur, I thought, we're gonna build a multi-million dollar company because this is gonna spread like wildfire. Everybody knows Michael Pollan. 
everybody's talking about farmers markets. I've invented the vehicle to make this happen. And, you know, 13, 14 years later, we've built thousands of gardens in central Texas and in Pittsburgh and, you know, And we live in a region of 2 million people. And so a thousand gardens or 2000 rounds to zero. <laughs> and in a community of 2 million people, we know that where Chris and I met at the farmer's market, that 1% of people in our region shop at a farmer's market, which rounds real close to zero that like, the reality is that it's going to be trench warfare and it's not, it's not going to go viral because you can't just click it and like it. Somebody has to have a truck. Probably somebody has to have, you know, access some money to get some real materials. Somebody has to know how to do it. And so you, you run up against the systems that we live in that are diabolically efficient at producing essentially poison that we eat at, you know, from the grocery store, from the industrial food system. And you decide to keep trying <laughs> to keep presenting it in a different way, to keep reaching out and, and maybe to, to grieve and accept that we may not figure this out. And, and that has to be somehow okay too. So I met a guy, you know, part of what Chris mentioned, when we first started Resolution Gardens, we had sort of two tracks. We had what would I call the community track, which was connected to the food co-op. And it was a shared farm that lived in 12 different people's yards. And then we had a private track where if somebody wanted our help to set up their own private garden in the backyard with the fence, then we would help with that too. And after a few years of, you know, a lot of hard work and, and love and laughter and amazing production, we decided we had to stop the community farm because as a business project, it was not viable. And so we put it to rest and our family, we decided that we would find a different way to participate in farming because we didn't want to give up on farming. We just needed to not do five mile farm. This was what we called it. We had to give it a rest. And then a few years later, a tech guy moved from San Francisco to Austin and started talking about how he wanted to create a distributed urban farm that lived in people's yards. And eventually he talked to some folks who told him that he should talk to me. And when I met him, he said, and they're still around, his name's Yogesh and they have a, a thing called lettuce. And uh, he said, I want to make the Uber of food. And I'm from San Francisco and we know startups and I'm raising money and we're going to make the Uber of food. And I said, 
you're not. <laughs> and I said, Uber works because we have a country filled with cars, the physical thing that operates. It, uh, it's, you get in and you start it and it goes. And you can't equate a car to a grass yard. It's not a farm yet. So if you want to have a farm in people's yards, it would be like starting without a car with just a bunch of material and saying, we're gonna build the car and then we'll have Uber. And Uber works because we do have the cars. So you can't do a yard farm without building the farm. And I said, Uber also works because we have a country of operators who have the knowledge and the skills to get into the car and drive the car. And there may be a person at the yard without the farm. And if we build them the farm, then we'll have the farm, but we still don't have a farmer. <laughs> we don't have a person that has these skills. And if I start to make a list for you of the time and materials and costs in money of building this farm and training these farmers, you will not have a viable business. <laughs> but he said, you know, no, we can do it. And, you know, they didn't do it and they're not doing it. They're still existing and they're doing something. And I'm glad, you know. We need as many people trying to crack this nut as we can. But that description is, is the nut that is not easy to crack and that will take time and energy and money. Yeah, like you said, it's a different stage for local food than it is for transportation. There's an enormous infrastructure. There's a cultural paradigm where everybody wants a car. Almost no one wants to grow food locally in terms of their awareness what they should be desiring. Everybody wants to own a car at a certain point in, in American life. But that's, that's the first challenge is sort of paradigmic or paradigmic changes of a wide variety that I can't name. I think you can. Right. And building up to a stage where people go, oh, so all I have to do is use my car to, you know, connect to the internet and then I'll get jobs and I pick people up and drive them places using this little computer map. That sounds pretty easy and, and they'll pay me through their phone. I mean, that's a totally different thing than, okay, so how often do I water and what are we talking about in terms of microbiology in the soil and where are we going to put it and what, what months doesn't it grow and what groceries can I get out of this? All sure, those... and, I and I have to go to the store and cut lumber. How do I do that? And, <laughs> yes. you know, and who's going to do that? Like, I can't just order it from Amazon. No, no. He said, we're going to have these state-of-the-art irrigate drip irrigation systems. I was like, you got to pull a permit to install an irrigation system in a, in a yard. You have to buy a $1,000 backflow regulator to attach to the city water line before you let a single drop of water come through an irrigation line. So you're, you're now spending $1,000 at each house just to start. <laughs> Just, and that's not even the whole system. That's just to connect to the city water line. Like it, it's, 
it's very daunting. So then, you know, you regroup and you say, well, you know, where can we start? So, you know, you start everywhere because a diversity of approaches is, is better than thinking that there's one way to do it. And, you know, it, it has to be an education project, essentially. It can't be a farm first. It has to be an education project first. So, you know, how do we do this in schools? How do we do it in community spaces like the gift? If it's at a private space, is it accessible still? So front yard gardens are better than backyard gardens because they're accessible. Part of the education is even just seeing it. So that's kind of you know how I've shifted over the years is from you know a business model to an education model. And then for my own personal interest, the business is, you know, a private farm is something that is at the scale that I can, I don't like to say manifest, personifest or embody. So, you know, Resolution Gardens is still building gardens and uh, it's about 50% of what we do. And, you know, so then I think the other side that I've thought of a second ago, just to bring back like our employment at Resolution Gardens of folks from the recovery community, when you think about farming and urban farming, if you think about the person who needs to learn how to farm in order to have a community of farmers, you know, a homeowner with a day job that takes a lot of time and bandwidth is probably not the best candidate because they're busy. So are there people in the community who are more available to take on this project that the community needs to, to embody? And so then you start to look at the connection to social justice issues and education of young people and the recovery community, people who have had trouble that is often legal. So then you look at the connection between the recovery community and, and previously incarcerated people. You know, how are these people who are having trouble with the regular day to day, how does the opportunity to create an urban food system that's sustainable and healthy connect to these other social challenges? And you can start to pile up a lot of potential that sounds like a better way than taking some busy homeowner and trying to put that challenge on them. So, you know, is there funding streams for, you know, stopping recidivism? Is there funding streams for helping people to not relapse? So how does those existing programs and funding connect to this core health concept that like food and food production connects to this idea of, of just core health, individual, family, social, that also includes your mental health, your spiritual health, 
your economics, stability. And so can food be a surprising piece of some other kinds of programs that help people to be healthy and help the community be healthy? And, you know, there's lots of great examples of, you know, urban social justice farm that are, you know, built around black community engagement or Latino community engagement or, you know, the recovery community, there's models out there. So it's not like we have to go and invent all of this from scratch. How can we support things that are already happening? Become the low hanging fruit for building from all sorts of different approaches. And then you take the pandemic and the additional challenges, but also additional opportunities that it's created. You know, the opportunity at the gift, it's, it's there because the schools that rented the space and the church going that was using the space was not possible for a year and a half. And so now it's time for that community to figure out how do we re, reimagine how this space will be used. And so being the opportunistic person that I am, it's a chance for the things that I'm interested to help seed there to be the right fit potentially. And then to look at, well, how similar is what's happening here to the other hundreds and thousands of churches just in central Texas and in Texas and in the rest of the country, are we maybe stumbling on a model that we can help to share, you know, these are the pieces and this is our process for how we're taking this space and, and reimagining it and building opportunity for people to come into this space and learn and share what they know and build a little business and celebrate the small things by being together in a safe outdoor space. And again, you know, Chris has been coming and helping out every Saturday. We're there for a few hours and we're, we're accomplishing some stuff, but you know, my little monkey brain counts how many hours of the week we're not there accomplishing anything and how many people are not there when we try to do it and how much more could we be accomplishing and, you know, use that as a, a co-an, you know, to ponder and think about how to build from and not as, uh, as an opportunity to, to quit and be frustrated and scared that we're not accomplishing enough. You know, Randy, as you're talking, you know, those uh, old calendars that you could like rip off one of the pages at a time. You know, and they have like a, a quote or like a cartoon or something like that. I'm, I, uh, lo yeah. I love this one that I had. It had this koan, not koan, this haiku that I really loved. I wanted to share with you. Please. Uh, it goes, the turnip farmer points the way with a turnip. <laughs> and I just feel like, like, that's 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 you and i just i just want to say 
Thank you. I recognize, I recognize your work and I really appreciate it. I've, I appreciate it how you're like, you work on so many levels and you work and, but mostly it, mostly it's just your good, it's good work. So thank you. You're welcome. That is truly my pleasure. Hmm. And you know, the part of the personal work I'm doing these days, it's uh, Terrence Real. He's a, a counselor. And the end of the third book that I just finished that's called uh, New Rules for Marriage. He talks about taking what you've learned through, you know, your personal work and your work with your partner and then taking that into the community, you know, to take the gifts and talents and passion that you have and not just share it with your family, but with the broader community. And he adds this, this nice little Zen touch, I think, about, about not taking ownership of those gifts. Like, you know, I have certain talents and interests and abilities that I, I didn't create them, they're just me. And part of his wisdom that he's trying to help people with is, you know, not to be attached to that and feel like, oh, I'm doing this. It's just, no, this is happening through me. And that wisdom, you know, the turnip farmer, a wise farmer knows that that what's coming through them is coming through the soil, through those little microscopic creatures and through the plants themselves. The turnip points the way. The turnip points the way. And the turnip, if you decide not to harvest your turnip and eat it, if you let it continue its full growth cycle to produce flowers and seeds, one turnip will produce hundreds if not a thousand seeds, one turnip. And so from that one seed to make one turnip, if you let one grow, you would have a thousand seeds that you could then plant to make, you know, I don't even know that math, but a thousand times a thousand. You would have a million seeds after your second season. And Every plant is that productive, which I think Chris and I were talking while we were painting the fence one day, like, I feel like the education piece, part of our challenge, you know, sure, we, it, it's better to point with the, with the activity, but of course we have to use language to communicate with each other and, and talk about what we're doing. And our language is, is so limited compared to what it is that we're trying to describe. Our language is very mechanical compared to these living things that we should be in relation with. And Chris and I have you know, taken our discussion and we're talking a lot in the last couple of weeks about the indigenous community and you know the the way that that their human life ways are woven with the natural living world appropriately and when i start to try to talk about how i 
feel about what I'm doing or what is the process that we're doing, I feel like the language is is a, a hard edge that is not woven with the way it feels and the way that we are trying to work with the living world. And again, that limit is an opportunity and that's why we need artists and poets and musicians philosophers to help, to help make new language yeah. you know to help keep evolving mm. or maybe re-evolve you know going back to these other communities that haven't you know grown out of proper alignment you know the the way some of the indigenous spokespeople talk about it is the in terms of the language is using poetry and stuff to find the connection that right. our, our language is so rooted in a disconnectedness that you have to stop sort of speaking in the typical conversational way and get to these more embodied phrases that are you know inflated by feeling right i'm wondering if one of the two of you could try to give an example so uh, yeah, I got off track because I said the word produce, you know, for what this turnip does. But like, what the turnip does is a gift, right? It's it's that or it's that organism's taking its life cycle through. It doesn't own a character or skills or abilities. It's it's living through what it is to provide this abundance, which like all of these living processes, you know, they come back to this word love essentially is like what the word, the feeling and the word that you would get to when you really understand it right. And like when I share on Facebook from my garden, I always like to say, you know, if you have a love of plants, then you will never run out. You know, you may have problems at work or you may have problems with your family or your own little issue, but like caring about plants gives you this feeling like, look at, look at what they do. Look at what they look like, smell, smell what they're, what they're giving, what they're putting out. They're not producing it like a machine. And, uh, you know, that should be the way that we are able to talk to each other, you know. It's been fun for Chris and I to reconnect and and I think we've spent, you know, some time to try to talk about, you know, well, what does it mean to us man to man, person to person, to spend a few hours together on a Saturday digging around, painting a fence? You know, are we vulnerable and in touch with our own feelings and reality to acknowledge you know what that time means and you know so that kind of connects to this personal work that i've been doing through you know this terence real guy recognizing that you know i'm i do my work and make some turnips and but my last couple months, I've been focusing on my need to care for myself in, in a different kind of way. 
and he writes beautifully, like contextualizing pretty much every man's experience from from boyhood to manhood. You know, he he succinctly calls being a man can be defined as the tolerance to pain is is what we're asked to learn by this society. And it's obviously becoming more gentle maybe over the last 20 or 30 years. But just because it's more gentle doesn't mean it's properly nurturing. And so through his work, you know, I'm realizing that I need to be more nurturing to myself, like the care that I do to prepare a garden bed properly to, to seed or to put plants in. You know, a garden bed is a good word. You know, it, it's a little cozy, comfy, sleepy place <laughs> for these living beings and it needs to be prepared accordingly. Which, by the way, you've also got a daughter about to leave the nest and another daughter in college. So you've yes. a lot of experience. The empty nest, that's a good term, right? The nest of, of the family. But, you know, I've, I've like learned over the last couple months that, you know, I don't talk to myself in my own head. I don't even talk to myself in my own head the way I talk to Chris. And when I'm not at my best, I talk to my wife and, and people that I get frustrated with the way that I talk to myself in my head all the time. So I feel like this is important to bring to this conversation, like if, because it's a skill and the, the shortcomings that we come up against when we form a team and try to do a project that is of good spirit and is you know appropriate the interpersonal skills that we have is often a limiting factor we get frustrated with each other somebody's bossing somebody around and those interactions are often the reason that the project peters out or fails it's not because of the money. It's not because it wasn't the right regenerative project. It was because we didn't have the ability to treat each other in a way that made it a sustainable effort. So that's my, my new realization is, you know, to do this interpersonal work that, that makes it possible for me to do it better. And a big piece of that is realizing that, you know, I've, I thought of myself as this entity, maybe a nugget, one nugget, bopping around the world doing its thing and having things push up against it or bang it or whatever. And the work that I'm doing is helping to kind of peel that apart and make it feel more spacious to where things, there's more of a time frame and a conscious ability to work with things before they just create a reaction that uh, that I always felt like I was not very good at controlling. And this is also where the spiritual uh, awareness comes in. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I'd, I'm going to jump in just to say I'd love to hear you guys talk back and forth a little bit about because um, you know the nature of our podcast or the exploration of the podcast is the inner work, the personal work, and the outer work, the environmental work that we need to be engaging in. 
we're looking for solutions to the global environmental crisis. And so Jared's focused on the inner. And it just suddenly occurs to me that it's interesting that you've been doing resolution gardens for over 10 years. And, you know, gardening is maybe the best possible way to have a personal engagement with outer work and an outer work engagement with inner work, this nurturing that you're talking about, that you're giving to a space, a, a living garden space. And yet now you're at a point in your life where you're just starting to kind of go, oh man, I should take care of myself like I take care of these turnips, you know? And I think Jared, as a both a teacher and a, and a psychotherapist, you guys might have a couple of interesting interactions on this idea of coming around, seeing, seeing that you also need to nurture your own inner garden. What comes to me is that we, we have to become gardeners for all life. You know, we have to become like lovers of all life, including this one to align our minds with who we really are. You know, the, 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 like the miracles that we are. Yeah. Terry, Terry Rell talks about how, you know, men are, you know, conditioned to tolerate pain and that we, we basically, he calls it performance-based esteem, right? So I realized recently that I have conflated self-confidence with self-esteem. And, you know, most men, I would argue, are on a similar misunderstanding that, you know, if I can swing on the high bar properly, or if I can sing the song right, or if I can do the garden right, or, you know, whatever these things are that we perform. And, you know, I've failed at them many times, and I'm not afraid to fail at them. But my focus is, is still on my conflating myself, this work that I can do with who I am. And that self-esteem is truly about, you know, do you love and take care and honor yourself, whether you perform or not? That you have a responsibility, if you wanna be a healthy person, to connect with that aspect of yourself that doesn't have to perform. And, you know, maybe with a plant, or, you know, the work that my, our counselor's been doing, she encouraged me to get a picture of myself from when I was a kid, you know, five or six or eight years old, and to keep it where I can see it while I'm bopping around the house and to, to practice telling that kid that, that I'm taking care of you. You know, we have the, they, this inner child work and it, it sounded ridiculous to me when she told me to do it and you know i was a little skeptical and not you know super excited about it but i've been doing it and you saw the picture of that cute kid that you were and you had to just yeah. kind of go with it for a minute and you know that that person is is this person you know with the tattoos and the bald head and the earrings and and I'm by doing that work of, of acknowledging the child 
that didn't have to perform to be loved in that in the house i realize how much performance has gone into looking the way that i've chosen to look and that a lot of the motivation behind that is not super nurturing <laughs> and connecting as far as how I want other people to engage with me. And sometimes I forget, you know, why is this person afraid of me or whatever? It's like, well, dude, look in the mirror because you've chosen to present in a certain way. It's, you know, so the last couple of months, it's been very rewarding to kind of put a different frame on how I'm taking stock of myself and taking time to breathe for five or 10 minutes twice a day and just think about that and acknowledge how I'm feeling. And, you know, I think a big missing piece for a lot of people is Again, it's not that we don't understand this stuff conceptually, academically, you know, you hear the message, take care of yourself, how can you love other people if you don't love yourself, but there's got to be some little practices, like some little tools and sort of gimmicks and things to work on, and I'm just really excited that I've been able to make a connection to get these little tools, which is similar to a garden, right? Like you you're not just going to pick up a plant and know what to do. You need some tips and some guides. And so I've been, you know, putting this stuff out on Facebook and encouraging people to read this book and to talk about it. And Chris and I have been talking about it while we're painting the fence. And I, I really feel like it, it may be more important than the gardening work, but it's certainly a parallel enough that it, we don't need to argue about which is more important. It's just like, great, let's try to do it at the same time. Totally. And a lot of the, you know, a lot of the work that needs to be done, you know, the program that I'm trying to use at the gift is something that I learned through Austin Green Art and, and through growing up in a family business that like to get outside and, and do some work together, the sort of barn raising mode, you know, you don't have to build a giant barn, you can build a little garden bed or move a chicken coop or, you know, <clears throat> when you have the time together, there's time to talk, you know, it's not rocket science where you got to be talking about all this technical stuff. It's like, oh, you grab this side, I'll grab that side. How was your week? You know, what are you working on? Wow, I learned this cool thing. And, and you're still getting the fence painted and still planting some seeds, but you have time to, to talk personally and share some things. And I think that layering is really important because I think it's part of what motivates people to show up. You know, people have to prioritize and we are conditioned to prioritize accomplishing something. So it's like, yeah, you wanna show up and talk about how you're feeling? Eh, I'm too busy. You wanna help move this chicken cope and like do this thing? Oh yeah, I'll be there for that. <laughs> so we gotta find the little, and that's why we want food consumption to be part of what happens over there 
you know, people take a break to eat a sandwich or have some soup. And so a meal is a nice time, thing to build into those activities. And if it can be the product product of the garden that gets turned into, you know, a turnip raw, it's not great eating. But my favorite turnip recipe is from my James Beard cookbook. You cut turnips into little pieces, like little slices. However many turnips you got, you also slice up some mushrooms, throw some butter in the saucepan and put the turnip pieces in there and let them soften up. Put some salt and pepper. When the turnips are pretty soft, you pile the mushrooms in there and they cook up nice and fast. And in about 20 minutes, you got some good eating. And I had never eaten a turnip until I grew one. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, what do you do with this thing? And, you know, that's part of what's so engaging about gardening is you're taking all so many layers of learning and the magic of the growth. Turnips are awesome because they produce greens that you can eat the greens modestly while you're waiting for the turnip to, to get to maturity. And then you take it to the kitchen and then you're sharing it with your family and, or bringing it to the potluck. There's just, it opens up so many ways to connect. So now we just have to figure out the, uh, the mindfulness piece let me jump in there. I'm going to sort of, because we're close to our time and I want to get to this question of an ideal vision for the future. And I think you've, you've laid out a lot of these important kind of components and experiences and back to the Uber of local food. Like what I hear, not necessarily you saying, I guess what, what I hear from what you're saying is that first and foremost, there needs to be a focus on the sort of educational infrastructure build that people know what they're doing and how to do it. And then you've actually got to go and finance the, the build of the infrastructure, the networking and all that. It, it is hard to do things in small doses when it comes to trying to build an Uber system. You can't really run Uber with five cars or a dozen cars. And that the, the physical engagement and the flavor engagement and the social engagement and gardening and all that is so energizing. And and the magic of seeing life emerge out of nothingness is so inspiring. And that the, the process of being in a garden is such a continuous education. There's just so many kind of water wheels of positivity that are, that are turning when you engage in this local food growth stuff. And yet at the same time, I think um, you were talking about needing to be kind of performative in a sense because of our societal definition of what it, what an identity is and what success is, what personal security is, trying to find self-esteem from a more performative thing. And what's occurring to me in the last few days is that our society doesn't see a lot of things that really matter. We don't see the Native Americans in our country. You know, we don't see the, the elderly Asian women that are being abused on our streets in our big cities until it hits the national news. We don't see Black Lives Matter until there's a video that goes viral and on and on and on. We don't see self-nurturing. We don't see food, local food growth. 
we just don't even it doesn't even register in in people and when you're talking about um you know at one point you said you know everyone's going crazy about michael Pollan, like that obviously or, or you know was in our kind of community of eco people and everybody got really excited about the sexiness and the, the flavor and the vitality of food and, and connecting in that way but we didn't we weren't able to ripple that out far enough yet i don't know that we should even assign a we weren't able to do that to that that just hasn't happened yet for a variety of reasons so what i'm trying to get at is i think you've done this amazing job of talking about the real challenges of a sort of blind society to these real solutions and then you've done 10 plus years of building real solutions testing different things engaging in interpersonal conflicts and finding resolutions so you can keep moving forward and keep doing resolution gardening so can you imagine a future or can you name some components that would get us to a future where we have a local food growth growth system in one city or in all of the communities in the world that really does make sense and and if you can talk about that, you know, what would it feel like to be in that space, to be in that future? So um, the way you were talking about it, it makes me my my sub interest that maybe you all don't know about, but Jared, you probably see on Facebook. Since the great financial crisis, I've read about global finance every morning for about 30 minutes for you know 10 or 12 years now because as a small business owner 2008 and 9 was a rough a rough patch and you know they told told us on the news that the financial system almost froze and almost died and I was like what are you like how what is it what is this thing that just kicked yeah. my ass everybody's ass so as an artist and literary scholar, like I've dived into this thing and tried to learn more about it because it, it's so impactful, right? About why the world does what it does. And so Chris and I have been spending some time talking about, you know, his idea that the billionaires need to fund regeneration of, of the earth's living systems. And, you know, I agree that it's a great concept. So to me, if we're gonna actually be able to scale a local food system, there's gotta be an economic connection. And so my biggest hope, and it, I might be totally off base, but over the last maybe six months or so, I've been thinking artistically, like this is my kind of artist brain, about the internet and the sort of computing capacity that we have for information gathering and synthesis that's often associated with the surveillance state or or the way that these companies are mining our information to decide to spit at advertising at us or whatever. And like these cryptocurrencies where a group of people are taking this computing ability and wanting to take some of the political and 
financial problems with the US dollar global reserve currency and come up with alternatives. So I kind of have this finance koan that is in my head. So from what I understand, a healthy economy requires constant circulation. It's a living system, just like our bloodstream or the nutrient cycle of a, of a good functioning farm or, or biosphere. So we're at this point where we're having a problem which isn't new. Economic cycles because of capitalism, market systems. If you've ever played Monopoly, if you play, the money all goes over there. That's what capitalism is. It's a wealth concentrating system. So the solution is, is a circular system. And the way that's currently discussed is a tax. That's how we're gonna get the money that got stuck over there back into the system. And in my mind, it's kind of a non-starter as a solution because there's a lot of problems with it. And I don't wanna go into all the problems, but my, my hope is that there's a potential technical innovation that we could be on the cusp of, which would be to use this computing power and our knowledge that we have to have circulation to create what would be a stimulus or a payment or an MMT universal basic income where we can value these things that Chris just talked about. We could create a dollar value or a new, new kind of currency value for these things that we know we need in a healthy society. So the question is, how do we, the way I think it could work is to use these new NFTs where somebody makes a digital element that could be a video, it could be an art thing, it could be a 3D digital creation. We create an NFT that's connected to behaviors and values and actions that we do want to have happening and we're willing to put a value on them. So it could be reading a book. It could be taking 10 minutes to breathe. It could be planting a tree. It could be building a garden. It could be a million things, giving somebody food. I think it's possible to list all that stuff and to put a value to it and to put it out to people to give us an NFT when they do it. And it's possible to tie that to economic circulation that rewards people for doing those things. And uh, potentially if that game started to play, the money wouldn't all end up stuck somewhere because these activities that we're talking about don't ever have to end. Read another book, breathe again tomorrow, 
plant another tree tomorrow. Give somebody else some food tomorrow. Like all of this stuff could happen and be funded. And remarkably, the people who need it the most would be the ones with the time and energy to start doing it and start getting paid. So that to me, like that's kind of complicated, but in a simpler form, you know, middle-class regular people have some discretionary income. And if we took 1% of it and found a way to gift it, even if it wasn't connected to these behaviors, but ideally it might be, there's a lot of money on the sidelines right now from regular people of good heart that could go into regenerative projects. And we could be more organized in our communities to state that intention and you know, announce that we got a project that could use some help and to create an awareness quickly that could go viral that like this is, this is the new normal that everybody talked about, what is it gonna be? Well, okay, this is what it's gonna be. This is the new normal, not the great reset <laughs> where they make us take drugs we don't want and herd us into camps or whatever. And, you know, I shared this thing with Chris that I found the other day, this guy wrote this piece, this anarchist piece, and he called it the simpler way, which I thought was some pretty good marketing. We just call it the simpler way or whatever we're going to call it. And we find ways to let go of these systems that are so destructive and start to rebuild the kinds of things that we want to see in our neighborhoods and be a part of because of the way it makes us feel and the richness that our lives get from spending that time with each other and producing healthy food and meeting new people and you know teaching somebody how to help. I think we can do it. And I, I bet we won't, but I'll try. I just, I just want to say, I felt like I was, I was in the room, you know, what Obama talks about, like, you know, if you're in the room, I felt like I was in the room All right. just at the end there. And uh, I just want to say thank you again for the work you do. Thank you for coming. And uh, I, I, I want to stay in the room with you and, um, and, and uh, you know, make, make it happen. Yeah. Well, um, we're going to untether Amen. from Austin and, you know, we'll be in some different spots and the, the idea is to just kind of take it on the road, you know, We've learned a lot of things here and there's opportunities to meet people in other places and, and talk about what's going on in their communities. And so we're going to give it a shot. Yeah. Thank you, Randy. Yeah. All right, guys. Thank you. Have a great day. Too, brother. You too. Bye. We've been talking with artist, regenerative landscaper, community builder, decentralized urban farmer, and just all around bodhisattva, Randy Jewart.
To learn more about Randy's ongoing works, check out resolutiongardens.com and the gift ATX on Instagram and Facebook. Tame my monkey mind. I wanna be a monkey.